1: Hello, it's Stories of Our Times. I'm James Shield, and this weekend we've got a couple of extra episodes for you. Today's episode is a new documentary special from Times Radio's sister station, TalkSport. More about that in just a moment. And on Sunday, tomorrow, we'll have the latest episode of Inside the Newsroom. It's the new weekend feature that we've been making for a couple of months now, just for Times subscribers, taking you behind the scenes here at The Times and The Sunday Times. In tomorrow's episode, one of our producers, Olivia Case, speaks to The Sunday Times' new restaurant critic, Charlotte Ivers. So I tend to book under the name of the person I'm going with. And the reason I do that is not because you're expecting really good treatment um, or, you know, special favours, free food or whatever, if you're a restaurant critic. It's actually because people who've been doing it a lot longer than I have tell me that if you book under your own name and they recognise you, the service will suddenly get a lot worse because the chef won't let anything leave the kitchen until it's absolutely perfect so it arrives late and cold and then the (laughs) waiters start dropping things on you because they're nervous. So, yeah, for that reason in the sense that I want to have a nice dinner I try and keep relatively under the radar. Now, to listen to that if you're already a Time subscriber and you've got an iPhone you just have to go to apple.co slash the times and connect your Times subscription. You'll need the latest version of iOS on your phone for that to work, but I promise it's worth it. apple.co slash thetimes. And we've now got eight episodes of Inside the Newsroom there that you can go and listen to in the Apple Podcasts app. If you're not already a Time subscriber, now is the perfect time because we've got a Black Friday sale running. You get four months for just £1, so don't miss that. Go to thetimes.co.uk slash blackfriday. So on with today's episode, the British Ukrainian sports journalist Andrew Todos has been looking at how, even in the middle of a war, the country is trying to hold on to some semblance of normal life. This is Play On, how football returned to Ukraine.
2: A breeze whistles between Kiev's iconic chestnut trees. The weak autumn sun tries to warm the Ukrainian people as they go about their daily business. You could be mistaken for a second, that everything is normal here. But in February 2022, the Ukrainian Premier League about to return to action after its annual winter break. The country was changed forever. Russia had launched a full-scale military invasion in a war that has been raging ever since. In this special TalkSport documentary, we explore how football in Ukraine has recovered from the devastation and horror of the Russian invasion that brought the country to its knees, and how sport found its feet again in the most distressing of times.
1: Our worst
3: fears have now come true. President Putin of Russia has unleashed war in our European continent.
4: A lot of our friends who were drinking beer last night, they just left their beers on their table and went straight to the front line.
5: 80% of football fans fighting on the front line for sure.
3: A 500 pound bomb hit the center of the field. The stadium itself, all the Tribune is destroyed.
6: Football fans and many, many other men and women in Ukraine, they visit more funerals than birthdays.
7: FIFA have released a statement, there will be further, more definitive sanctions, which will include expulsion.
8: You know, every day is a missile attack. Every day is uh, it's a very sad moment for Ukraine, but even during the wars, people still very passionate about the football.
9: Football is amazing opportunity to, um, to send any message to the rest of the world to, to enjoy for me right now. When I'm on the pitch, I'm starting to forget about everything.
3: And listen to what it means.
10: This situation is very changed our country, how people think. This unity which we have now, it's it's a very good start for uh, for a new life for this country.
2: I'm sports journalist and reporter Andrew Todos. Born to Ukrainian parents, I specialize in reporting on football in the country and run a popular website and podcast about Ukrainian football. You will hear from the legendary Ukrainian footballer Andriy Shevchenko and current Premier League star Oleksandr Zinchenko, plus be introduced to a wide range of personas involved in Ukraine's beautiful game and the courageous story of Olya Piasetska whose football fanatic husband lost his life defending his country during the invasion.
6: The biggest moment of my life was to see my kids' eyes when I had to tell them that he died. And when you explain that they will never see their father again, and when you see that little heart breaking, yeah, that's that's the worst experience ever.
2: Ukraine is a country steeped in footballing greats and memories. Three Ballon d'Or winners, Valeri Lobanovsky's Dynamo Kiev, Shakhtar, the last ever UEFA Cup champions in 2009, co-hosts of Euro 2012, the 2018 Champions League final and Euro 2020 quarter-finalists. Zinchenko, udar,
9: goal!
3: Artem Dombik, go Artem Dombik, off the bench to send Ukraine into the quarter-finals of the European Championship.
2: This has all been achieved despite the tough deck the country's people have been dealt. Decades under the Soviet Union, corruption, two revolutions, the occupation of Crimea and the war in the Donbass. An event that forced Shakhtar Donetsk and Zory Luhansk to be exiled from their homes for almost a decade. But nothing could prepare Ukraine and its football for the events that began on the 24th of February, 2022. This is Times Radio Breakfast with Asma Mir and Stig Abel.
6: Good morning. Russia has launched a military operation in Ukraine. Earlier reports suggested that eastern Ukraine was the target again, but there have been loud explosions heard in Kiev and in the city of Kharkiv. In
2: the days after the war broke out, even for the football authorities, organising leagues, playing matches and dealing with clubs was merely an afterthought. I spoke with former Glasgow Rangers midfielder, Oleksiy Mihailichenko, who is now the Vice President of the Ukrainian Association of Football, about what happened at the start of the
7: full-scale war. It was very
2: difficult,
3: very tough psychologically, because you live through tense and stressful situations every day. In my building, I gathered together all my children, all my dogs and cats. We were like one big family together. Everyone tried to support one another because we didn't know What was going to
2: happen tomorrow? Can you explain what happened in the early days? The UPL was just about to resume from its winter break, but didn't. Many foreign players were stranded and wanted to leave. How did UAF help to calm the situation?
3: In the first days, football, as with most other things, was little more than an afterthought. There were such situations with Shakhtar and with players from Dynamo Kyiv who were on their own. They didn't have the means to live and we helped them. I remember it very well when we organized the departure of Brazilian players from Hotel Opera, their feelings, their tears, their prayers, when they were on their knees by the hotel's reception and praying that they survive this ordeal. You understand this greatly and feel compelled to help them the best you can. Just like you would do for your own family, but you understand
2: you have to remain here in order to continue with your own life. The country's most famous footballer, Andriy Shevchenko, could only watch on from abroad in anguish. As the horrific events unfolded,
8: every day Ukrainian people risk their life. Uh, soldiers who defend uh, our country, and generally people who inside of Ukraine, you know, every day is a missile attack. Every day is uh, it's a very sad moment for Ukraine. But we can't give up. We, we just have to keep going. We have to do everything that to exist. The, the, we're talking about not about. We're fighting for our future. We're fighting for for chance to exist like a country, to have our language, our culture, and this everything for us.
2: That message was echoed across football. And while there were no thoughts of going to matches, the fans focused on defending their country. I stopped off in Lviv to meet up with Andy Markovitz, who owns the Cantonar pub named after the Manchester United cult hero, Eric Cantona. He explained to me what happened to his business and his customers when war broke out.
4: In the morning, we decided with my partner Katya, that we need to go to Cantona and to try to do something there because a lot of our friends who were drinking beer last night, they just left their beers on the table and went straight to the front line. And they hadn't a lot of ammunition, they hadn't sleeping bags, so we started to collect something, and we have a good location in the centre, so we firstly made it like a warehouse, where it all stored, and then it was uh, shipped to the front lines.
2: I met up with Olya Piasecka on the one-year anniversary of the death of her husband. She had organized a memorial service in Приberezhny Park on the banks of Kiev's Dnipro River. Olya describes to me how football fans, like her partner Dmitro, took up arms immediately without access to basic equipment.
6: He did not have any doubts where he will go and whom he will join because his family, his football fans' family, his team, they were already there, so he just went and uh, first time they did not have even ammunition or weapons so they bought many things they asked other fans from other countries to help sometimes they even had those direct fights they did not even have helmets and protection for their heads and that was like crazy thing
2: what was it like for the family when he was away
6: that was a very hard thing because i was alone with two small kids with war around and i could see from my balcony explosions it was difficult to take care of myself and my kids. And then I knew he's fighting somewhere. And of course, when your husband or your loved one is out there, you can't contact him all the time. And that's a pretty scary feeling.
2: Along with the fans, Alexander Rabokon, a top-flight football manager, joined up with the territorial defence forces as soon as war broke out. Alexander told me of the necessity to protect his family and their home with Russians almost on their doorstep. He explained what the immediate priorities were in his neighbourhood, in Kiev.
10: In the early days, we immediately
8: created a kind of voluntary brigade. We united and began to block the roads, build fortifications. Then, a little later, the instructors appeared to conduct training and shooting classes. They told us how to fight in urban conditions and how to work at roadblocks. It was
10: all very tense. One
2: of the unique developments for football supporters who had joined the army was a new brotherhood developing. Club rivalries were instantly forgotten.
10: Hello, my name is Roman Bebach. I am Ukrainian sport journalist and commentator, and now is a YouTube channel blogger. The main example is Dnipro and Metalist. It's a big derby like milan inter napoli juventus uh, very big hate each other but after the start of the big war and also 2014 everything is changed because uh, in ukraine this hooliganism it's stopped and uh, and now a lot of football fans in the army and it's a very strong teams when they coming together and now they're fighting for Ukraine and uh, it's it's give for all the peoples a very a very big motivation because if this person who hates each other and fights each other when they together it it's changed our our mentally really.
2: And do you think when the war is over, do you think that those rivalries will return?
10: Maybe in another generation because when i have this question for guys from dnipro and middle East, they said we don't know how to how to fight each other because we are together against russia and and this situation they like a brothers you know i think this generation don't fight each other
2: this is play on how football returned to war-torn Ukraine on Talk Sport. I'm football journalist Andrew Todos, and I've been regularly traveling to and from the country over the past 18 months. We've heard how thousands of football fans have swapped the terraces for the battlefield in the early stages of the war in Ukraine. For the clubs, there were unprecedented challenges despite there being no matches. There were even stadiums that were located in the line of fire that suffered crippling damage.
3: A 500-pound bomb hit the centre of the field. The craters, 20-foot deep, 50 metres around. The stadium itself, all the Tribune is destroyed. The changing rooms are destroyed. The field was the best field in Ukrainian football. It was like a billiard table, but now they grow potatoes. It's, It's heartbreaking. I don't know whether we will relocate somewhere else. And but we are looking for help from maybe clubs around Europe to give us
2: a small handout so we can start again. That was Ian Brush, an expat from Sheffield and a diehard fan of former UPL side Desna FC, a professional club in Chernihiv.
6: <laughs> of
2: course, the conflict also impacted on the footballers and coaches. When the invasion began, the leagues were coming to the end of their annual winter break. Some professional players were too frightened to return to Ukraine following warm-weather training
11: abroad. My name is Oleg Yehorov. I'm chief executive officer of the Lviv Barak Football Club. So we compete in the second division of the national football competitions. At the moment of the invasion, uh, our first team, they had a training camp in Turkey. Nobody knew what will happen with the championship and uh, what to do actually with the families. From the squad of 32 players and other stuff, only seven or nine people were back to, to Kiev. The rest, players and stuff, they went other places, other clubs. Uh, somebody I know now, they uh, stay in Canada and they just don't play f- football anymore. So uh, it was a difficult situation. At some point, we understood that there is no team anymore and we need to think about what to do, what will be the next step of our club. But
2: after Russian troops were driven out of Kiev Oblast in April 2022, talks began on how to restart football. Oleg From the Ukrainian FA explains why it was vital to look to the future.
3: After the Russian army withdrew from Mirpin, Hostomel Bucha, we went there. We saw the people their eyes. This 20 kilometers make a big difference. In those towns, people's eyes looked completely different because they saw the horror. Despite the grief, the people understood that they must stay and rebuild their lives under the current circumstances. There were lots of hopes emanating from football because we understood that the psychological state of people was very difficult. And when you live in this atmosphere, it's really tough. As such, in order to revive football during the war, we understood that people's lives and their safety remains in the first place.
2: The desire for football to return to the stadiums, sports clubs and parks of Ukraine as soon as it was safe to do so, was also shared by Ukraine president Volodymyr Zelensky. The sports minister, Vadim Goodsight explained to me how it was done. When
5: it came to this issue, I agreed with the president that, of course, with football to restart the championship in safe cities. So we met with the UAF hierarchy and uh, worked out every point of our plan what to do, under what conditions, where to go, how to finish, how to start, how to do it if there is an interruption of more than three or four hours. Then the local government works out whether it's okay for the games to occur, because before every match you have needed consent with the local government and the military administration, medics and so on, so that everyone would be at the same page together and be ready to give permission.
2: The national anthem of Ukraine has been played prior to kick-off at football grounds across the country since the initial Russian invasion of Crimea and the Donbas in 2014. There is an immense pride and resilience amongst the Ukrainian people, and steadfast determination for the national team to be competing on all fronts. Despite their home matches having to be played outside the country due to the security risk of hosting internationals in Ukraine.
1: And the positive result
3: that Ukraine gala with the full-time whistle is greeted with huge admiration from those decked in yellow and blue around the stadium here in Rotsvar.
2: The Arsenal defender, Oleksandr Zinchenko, with over 50 caps for Ukraine, told TalkSport that playing for his country during wartime, was vital. Football
9: today is, it's so powerful, just in general, like a sport. Football, this amazing opportunity, to um, to send any message to the rest of the world. To to enjoy, for me right now, when I'm on the pitch, I'm starting to forget about everything, about all the problems around myself.
3: to what it means, Zinchenko in the right place at the right time to score.
9: People now, they are living in, living in the wartime and from the TV or I don't know, from the some social medias, they can see all these kind of things like you, you said that there is around the world, everyone is wearing the Ukrainian flag or I don't know badges or anything. And they, they really see and they really know and understand that the rest of the world is today with us. It's important for us.
2: In an empty Olympic Stadium, with bombshells prepared and Russia's threat still looming, top flight football returned to Ukraine in August 2022. Shakhtar Donetsk and Metalist 1925 drew 0-0 as the Ukrainian Premier League restarted six months after it stopped. Initially, matches were only played in Kyiv, on the outskirts of the city, and in two western provinces near the EU border. Astonishingly, 14 of the 16 sides from the previous unfinished campaign laced up for the 22-23 UPL season. Shakhtar, having lost the majority of their foreign talent, such as Manuel Solomón and Tete, for free or low fees, still managed to go toe-to-toe with Dnipro 1 in the title race. I interviewed Igor Jovitović at the Lobanovsky Stadium after one of the key games of the season. Igor replaced Roberto de Zerbi as the coach of Shakhtar Donetsk when football restarted in the country. The Croatian described to me the challenges of playing football amidst
12: the backdrop of war day per day you live here in psychologically uh, pressure you know air rates are all days you must decide what to do to go to shelter sleep there or uh, several times go to there you must training uh, prepare tactical games and at the same time you must think about how survive and uh, look in the air and uh, the sky to to see uh, what's happened no this is a very difficult situation and the uh, Improved your character. can suffer this, you can resist this moment, thinking about football, but at the same time, how to survive. My motivation is sports motive, and uh, this is all my focus on my life. So, yes, uh, in the night, it's heavy, it's uh, difficult. You hear bombs, you hear drones, shakets, you, you you see sometimes. I think, and I hope that the uh, Army of, uh, of Ukrainian will help and they'll help us to play. Because we, with this football, we want to thank to them what they do for us. Because we only play football. They're fighting and they lose their lives. And this is, this is only football.
2: Amid the air raid sirens, the fans were still on the front line. It's estimated that 80% of football supporters have been actively involved in defending Ukraine against the Russian invaders with considerable loss of life. Stands of Heroes is a charity foundation that has been set up to support the families of football fans that have lost loved ones in the conflict.
5: My name is Dmitro Kukuruza, I am a football fan of Metalist Kharkiv and I am co-founder of uh, Stands of Heroes Charity Foundation. We started to receive messages about uh, fallen friends. First of all, it was news from Kharkiv from the first days of the war. And this time uh, burned this idea to make this uh, project. But uh, this idea transformed because we started to receive uh, messages from all of Ukraine and we understood uh, that it's too much people who died on this war from fans community and we decided to make this foundation like a global for Ukraine. Our main objective is uh, financial assistance for families, Uh, it's legal assistance it's uh, memories about, uh, about Fallen Heroes and social
2: projects. I've been looking on the Stand of Heroes website that Dmitro Kukuroza told me about and looking at the obituaries and photos of the Fallen Soldiers that the charity helps. One in particular, that of Dennis Skipper Kotenko, caught my eye. A fan of... Dnipro, he died in the Battle of Kyiv on March the
6: 24th, 2022. The charity have even
2: made a documentary about him where friends and family pay tribute to his ultimate sacrifice.
9: You'll
2: remember Olha, whose husband tragically lost his life on the front line. She explains why the Stands of Heroes Foundation and the football fans' community were so invaluable to her.
6: When I learned uh, the whole world exploded, I don't remember much. And actually, I never met those ultras guys in, and that's the first time I met them. And they became like real brothers to me because they support me still today. And then uh, these guys, uh, they called me one day and they said, okay, There is a foundation that's called uh, Tribuna Heroev, Stand of Heroes. They're helping families here like you are. Maybe, Maybe you could join, maybe there will be something for you also. I think first six months they were like totally darkness. And it was darkness not only in my head, but actually it was blackout times. So I had to live on 13th floor without electricity, water, heating shops not working mobile not network not working properly and uh, carrying a child up on Thuring's floor and carrying water and food that's that's pretty difficult but the most important thing they supported our family every month paying us really good sum of money that was enough for living, and they paid it till the period when government actually helped us. That was something that helped me to survive, basically, because I couldn't work at that time or earn money.
2: Coming up here on Talk Sport, we'll hear how Ukrainian legend Andriy Shevchenko used the power of the global game to support those most affected by the destruction in his homeland. You're listening to Play On how football returned to war-torn Ukraine. A unique insight into the life of the footballing community amidst the conflict with Russia. That is it. The final whistle has just been blown in the last game of the 22-23 UPL season. Shakhtar are champions. This game had its kickoff delayed due to an air raid, but as with all other matches this season, The ones that were interrupted were completed. A season many didn't even expect to happen in the early months of 2022 is now complete. The teams and players withstood the difficulties. Football and Ukraine have won the 22-23 season. I am British Ukrainian football writer and reporter Andrew Todos, and I have been regularly travelling to the country during the war. Before the war, a journey from London to Kiev would normally take three hours. But with air traffic now banned over Ukraine, what was once a simple flight from Stansted or Luton instead sees you fly to Poland, be it Warsaw, Krakow or Ochezov, followed by a ten-hour coach journey to the western Ukrainian city of Lviv before embarking on an eight-hour sleeper train to the capital. What was once a trip completed in a morning now takes over 24 hours. To play
9: with these conditions all season makes you proud again That's well, we are even on top of it.
2: That's Oleksandr Zinchenko, who has lived in England and played his football in the Premier League since 2016. He is in awe of his fellow Ukrainians for finishing the league season and showing their mental strength.
9: People don't realise that in Ukraine the game could be like three hours because if suddenly siren will be during the game. Everyone needs to go to the bunker and wait until siren is done. So you go one-by-one one with the keeper and then suddenly siren, you have, to, you have to hide inside. And then you have to wait until it's done and siren could be one hour, siren could be two hours, and then you have to carry on again. And to play with these conditions all season makes you proud again. That's, well, we are even on top of it. We can move forward.
2: But what about those lower league clubs that had lost everything? I took a trip across Kiev to take in a training session at FC Livy Berech. As you heard earlier, when war broke out, the majority of their professional squad and staff did not return to the club, and they subsequently had no other choice than to pull out of that season's second tier. I met up with Oleg Yekharov, the CEO of
11: Livy Berech. We had a difficult choice to to stop the professional team uh, activities and uh, to try to focus on the kids because we had 170 kids before invasion and the first training session uh, from all the academy we just gathered 14 kids and it was uh, it was a big problem for us and uh, we decided to focus on the things we, we can care the kids still, who still live in, in Kyiv, uh, in Ukraine. We opened our doors for everyone who wants just to be together, to play football. And we, we met other, other, other kids from other academies because only our academy was opened and it was our key, key point.
2: On a wider scale, the humanitarian fundraising effort went global. With Ukraine President Zelensky setting up the United24 charity project.
12: Today, the whole free world got united around Ukraine. Countries, companies, international organisations and most importantly, people.
2: And football played its part too, with Ukrainian icon Andriy Shevchenko leading the way.
12: They've done it again! It's Shevchenko at the double! 2-1 Ukraine! And what a player this man is! At the near post...
2: The father of four told sport. How his emotions were running high after visiting youngsters in hospital who had been caught up in the war. And in particular, Shevchenko remembers meeting Marina on the children's ward of the Okhmadit Hospital in Kiev.
8: Her building been hit by missiles, she got uh, injury, she lost the leg and she was very sad, she was very young, um, she was not uh, speaking to anyone and um, I come visit her in a hospital. We have a chat and she was doing the re- rehabilitation and during the, the session we try to communicate, we try to like play a little bit ball and I saw some smile on her face and that was everything for, for us. You know, see the smile in, uh, in her face, that uh, it, it gives such a big hope to everyone, you know. She was uh, finally start to smile and she gets a little bit of uh, energy and she's doing good. I'm, I'm going again in Ukraine soon and I'm going to go visit her again.
6: many families making their way here it's been a really poignant day as you make the walk to Stamford Bridge um, from the tube station here in West London and uh, the fact that we get absolute superstars of world football gracing this pitch along with stars of of film and television and, and, and music as well is is an absolute delight but the main point is that really crucial money is being raised for a a really big cause with so many schools decimated by the conflict out in Ukraine.
2: It's over 18 months since Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine and football's response to the war has taken us to Chelsea Football Club in West London. It's the idea of Ukraine's greatest ever footballers, Andriy Shevchenko and current Arsenal defender Alexander Zinchenko, to keep the plight of the people in their homeland on top of the sports news agenda.
1: Football is life, but life is far more important than football. Team Shevchenko faced Team Zinchenko in the game for Ukraine. It's live here on Talk Sports.
2: A round of applause does break out. The 30,000 or so crowd on their feet inside Stamford Bridge. And this is another touching moment that I know will mean the world to the people tuning in in Ukraine, those people whose lives have been turned upside down. The Game for Ukraine event raised around 2 million pounds, which will be used to rebuild schools that have been destroyed in the country. Olha's children, aged 7 and 4, lost their dad in the conflict. She has been able to bring a little joy back into their lives through the charitable foundation, stands of heroes and the star power of football.
6: The stand of heroes, they called me and really gently suggested if I would like to visit something like that. And that meeting was with Andriy Shevchenko and i knew that for my kids that would be something outstanding so it actually made me stand up from my depressed mood and just it uh, it brings some bright spots to your dark period so i think it's a very good thing to organize such meetings a couple of months later we also met with two Dynamo football players uh, i think it was uh, bushan and sidarchuk and they cooked burgers for my kids. And that was something, a very unusual experience. The kids enjoyed it so much because football players uh, being chefs, that's something really, really cool. And uh, our third meeting was organized this summer. It was with Sergei Librov. We had very nice conversation and he represented the whole football community. He was very open, you know, I also knew that for all families gathered around that table, that was very important to know that somebody cares about you, Uh, to see this whole circle of people united with the same tragedy as they are, and having a chance just to meet and to talk to somebody is very, very important.
2: The number of football fans that have died on the front line is unknown and Ukrainian authorities give no official figures on the overall loss of lives in the bloody battles with Russia. Estimates run into the tens of thousands of army casualties, maybe even hundreds of thousands. Such a horrendous loss of life. Olha has witnessed firsthand the rise in grieving families.
6: The sad part of everything is that in October there was a small circle who met with Andriy Shevchenko. At this time, our last meeting, it was really big. And I see how many families join us and uh, every time we have this Stand of Heroes web chat, chat where we communicate. And there are so many new people being added constantly, all the time, and I see that it's getting bigger and bigger. and. Uh, I spoke to these guys who organized this foundation i can't imagine the level of responsibility and job they're doing
2: this is play on how football returned to war-torn ukraine on talk sport coming up we'll discuss the very real issues and challenges that football faces amidst the fighting in Ukraine. I am British-Ukrainian sports journalist, Andrew Todos, and so far we've heard how sport has restarted and stabilised in the country in the most difficult of circumstances and how the joy of scoring has returned. The latest campaign of the Ukrainian Premier League is well underway. It's the second season since the Russian invasion and there are still only a limited number of people allowed to watch the games live in the grounds. The security risk is still very real. At the beginning of November 2023, the longest match in the league's history was played out. Dnipro 1 against FC Alexandria took four hours, 36 minutes to complete, following multiple air raid warnings in the east of Ukraine. The match started at 5.15 and ended close to 10 o'clock at night. Across Ukraine, over 343 sports facilities and venues have been damaged or destroyed during the Russian invasion and any rebuilding programme will take many years. The financial drain of no matchday income is hitting the clubs hard and the prospect of having full stadiums is impossible to predict as Dynamo Kiev great Oleksiy Mihailchenko explains.
5: I
3: don't know. It's very difficult to predict this. I would really like to see it. I think there might be a possibility in 23, 24 that at some stage fans will be allowed in, with small numbers when bomb shelter conditions permit. Safety is the main priority, but it would be nice to have a section of ultras and fans back in stadium. This is also a priority for us. We can only hope.
2: Many talented foreign footballers are unwilling to come to the country now and more Ukrainian players are looking for a move away. I travelled to Prague, one of the numerous locations Ukraine's national team have had to call home following Russia's invasion. To get the views of Ukraine's new head coach, Serhiy Rebrov, whose former clubs include both Tottenham and West Ham.
4: I think it's important that our players from Ukraine is uh, going abroad, go to play in the big leagues. We are not talking only about the, for example, very close leagues like Poland and uh, Hungary. There's lots of players playing there, but I think it's very important for national team and for the growing up for the players to play in the big league. And my opinion, we had to, all the time we had the talents, but it's good that last years we opened the door for, for big uh, big leagues and the players who is there. I think they they gives reclam for our players who is playing at home. And now I think um, big championships is watching for Ukraine, watching for Ukrainian players, and they are invite them. So,
2: how will this affect the standard of football in Ukraine? That's a question I put to football commentator and journalist Roman Bebech.
10: So now level of the Ukrainian football not so good like before the big war, but now started a big this competitive for for champions, and I think Ukrainian football need to change after the war because we need to work with our children our academy we need to create a big academy give a chance for ukrainian football and for me big example is croatia yes which have a lot of uh, creation players in the big uh, brands like real barcelona inter and some big clubs and we need to be like croatia And, uh, but we, uh, for this way, we need to very good work with our children, because I think after the war, we don't have so big money for the transfer like it was before the war.
2: The psychological impact of the war on the next generation is very difficult to predict, as they will not only have the mental scars of the conflict, but also the hardships of rebuilding their lives and the infrastructure around them. Even a millionaire footballer like Oleksandr Zinchenko admits he isn't the same person that he was in 2021. changed a
9: lot, a lot. I think now it's so difficult to, to, to surprise me in a bad way, I would say, um, because the, the, the things which I saw, the things which I heard from the people, the real stories, um, I think I have no emotions inside myself. Maybe you saw some, some of the press conference before in the past where I couldn't hold my emotions and my tears. But uh, maybe because I am that sensitive person, I don't know. But I'm just trying to, to live these kind of moments with the people which is struggling, which is trying to survive. And you're just reading all this, and you, know, you just see all this news and you are living with them, that moment. <laughs>
7: It's here,
2: where a little over a year on from the Russian army's withdrawal, that a kiev based restaurateur and a well-known football broadcaster have set up a new football team. They've named the team Maria Ostomol. The team's squad consists almost entirely of displaced players from the regions most impacted by Russia's invasion, Luhansk, Donetsk, Mariupol, amongst others. As you drive from Kiev to the stadium here, you can see the remnants left of those early days of war. A bridge that was blown up to prevent Russian advancement remains under construction, houses have their roofs missing, and some are peppered with bullet holes, whilst the main supermarket is just an empty burnt out shell. The stadium where Maria play is a modest little ground located within a fairly new residential complex. As you walk around its perimeter, you can see broken glass and windows on the new builds that have yet to see residents move in.
7: My name is Nikola Vasilkov, and can say I represent more that humanitarian idea. So our goal is to push them in a new life. For refugee, it is in ten times worse they can't find themselves sometimes people people neighbors from the next door they do not like him the logic is clear Yes, we we had tough life well, why, why do you came for us yeah why, why do you say you are a refugee and need uh, more than we need because we are the same situation the same war just to to recognize people with the same problem is is a result yeah to to spend time together is a result too but we give them more. We gave them a chance to be a little heroes, you know, just uh, to be a little bit more recognizable. And uh, after that steps, the, the main result, the professional uh, development. And the second goal is the sport. Yeah,
6: here, instead of
7: announcing the
6: players' surnames as they walk
2: out onto the pitch, they announce the names of the mascots. And the mascots are refugees, displaced people, that have arrived from the eastern regions of Ukraine, affected by the war, and have settled in the Kyiv region. My name is Dmitro Dubas. I'm the president with
8: Mikola Veselkov uh, football club Maria Hostomal. I you to say that for... Many uh, players from our team. It's the first time in uh, her life that him, surname, says it's on all stadium: Markitan, Javko, Kuyanov and uh, he read about uh, himself on uh, media and press. It's new emotion. It's great emotion uh, to him. They happy when uh, they training or playing on our match days. We would like to be a professional team after two years.
2: While there is a glimmer of hope for a brighter future in Ukraine, with a clear unity and determination among the football community both on and off the football pitch, there is also concern that Russian teams will be allowed to start playing in FIFA competitions again. This comes following the announcement that Russian youth teams may be able to compete for a place at the Under-17 World Cup. A clearly frustrated Alexander Zinchenko told Piers Morgan on Talk TV that Russian athletes should remain banned from all competitions.
9: I have one of the Ukrainians which don't like to see them in, in any, on the highest level in any sport. This is not political. You, they are it's talking… It's life and death. This is war. And they're talking about, don't put politics in sport. This is not politics, this is war. Guys, you don't do anything. If no one is going to speak out because they're scared, I'm so sorry, don't, don't ever call us brothers or whatever, like they did it in the past, never again.
2: There is also heartbreak. Let's hear from widow, Olia Piasecka, one last time. As supporters, continue to die on the front line.
6: They always try to support each other. They always try to support weak. And when they die just in the middle of their bright, beautiful lives, it hurts a lot. And I know that now football fans and many, many other men and women in Ukraine, they visit more funerals than birthdays and go into became quite an often thing to happen and the graveyards of soldiers are huge they're endless and just when you go there and you see this whole line one by one standing there with flags and broken lives that is not the experience that you expect to get in your life ever
2: Over the course of this special talk sport documentary we've heard of emotional stories about death, destruction, personal sacrifice, but most importantly, determination and resilience. From the terraces, the pitches, the boardrooms, and all the way to the front lines. The end of war remains unclear, however football keeps striving forward. The leagues continue, clubs are rebuilding talents are developing all the while fans keep fighting on so all of that can remain possible live on fight on play on play on play on play on, play on. i'm british ukrainian sports journalist andrew todos and you have been listening to play on how football return to war-torn ukraine